0: what qualities make a good president what qualities make a better than good president we have come to think of a president as a gift-giver and a wish-granter a person brimming with ideas and plans and an agenda to fix all the problems well almost always it is a problem made by someone else that needs to be fixed So, it's a circle of idiocy. Do we really want or need someone with a plan for every single issue, trivial or actual, minute or grand, which faces the country? Probably not. About half of the people will not be pleased with the result. so how is that a fix? This episode is about finding what is better in the qualities of the president, which, frankly, has little to do with what's better for you. The irony is, the less the president does, the better it is for all of us. The Culinary Libertarian Podcast, Episode 79. Hello. Welcome to the Culinary Libertarian Podcast. Where the philosophy is free, but the food is on you. Hello, everybody. Dan Reed here, the Culinary Libertarian. Welcome back to the podcast. Happy to have you here. Happy to be here. Surf over to my podcast's page, culinarylibertarian.com slash podcasts to find all the previous show's links, which include the show notes for those episodes. Also, from that podcast's page, you can click the link for support. That click takes you to the support page where you'll find all the podcatchers which host the Culinary Libertarian Podcast, some of my affiliate banners including Kiko's Cakes, Time Woods Liberty Classroom, and McClanahan Academy. There's a very good chance you are home with the kids. Turn some of that time into learning math and science while baking muffins. Shh! Don't tell them it's learning. They'll think they're baking muffins, but with my Muffins e-cookbook link on that page, you can teach them about the science of baking, the math of measuring, and the patience of organizing the workplace and the rewards of patience and paying attention. They'll think it's just a blueberry or a chocolate muffin. We won't tell them it's learning. That book is available in Kindle or PDF formats. To get the PDF, just leave your email address at the link, and that subscribes you to my email list. The Kindle link is right next to that. Lastly, leave a rating and review for the show on your favorite podcatcher. That helps more people find the show, and that grows the audience. Recently on a Facebook thread, I was asked, Who's better? I was vocal about then-candidate Bernie and how he was not a good choice, so the questioner asked, who is better for president? That person is still a strong Bernie fan. I was also pretty plain that the Medicare for all idea is a bad idea. After the whole unconstitutional part, and if you just said, it's a living, breathing document, I'm going to get to that, there are some other very serious problems with the idea of taking the property of one person and using it to pay for a service for another person. If the conversation was only about that, taking from one to provide something for another, that alone is a lot of baggage. Some of it emotional, and that seems to get the lion's share of the attention. There is the moral aspect. Thomas Soul has asked the question, quote, "How much is your fair share of what someone else has worked for?" End quote It comes off as cheeky, but it isn't. Rephrase it to ask, "What is the fair share of your lunch your coworker can eat?" Kids know that if you take something that doesn't belong to them, that's wrong. Right and wrong are not too confusing as basic concepts. When we hear people elected to positions of power say it is for the greater good, more than a few listeners accept that at face value. We seem to want that to be right, and that elected person must be smart, right? It would be possible to take this episode a thousand different ways the greater good fallacy, or the moral implications of obeying authority. Think Nazi Germany, where hiding Anne Frank was a crime, but rounding up Jews and putting them in concentration camps was legal, with the thinking that whatever is good for Germany is legal. That's a very harsh example, but does illustrate the difference between a moral act of protecting the life of a person and the man-made legal aspect of the law. Despite the complications, taking something that doesn't belong to you is stealing, and stealing is wrong. So what of this question, who is better? Well, better at what and for whom are possible responses, but let's take a look at what the job description has to say. To assess what is good, and from there we can determine what is better or worse. Let's start with the Oath of Office. This is in the Constitution and reads, quote, I do solemnly swear that I will faithfully execute the office of President of the United States and will, to the best of my ability, preserve, protect, and defend the Constitution of the United States. End quote. Short, but very important, for there are three criteria against which a president may be judged. And we're going to get back to that. The powers are not too many and a bit dull. Commander-in-chief of the armed forces, well, that could get exciting. The president has the power to, along with the Senate, make treaties. Uh, the president can't appoint ambassadors, judges, and other officers to the U.S., the president can fill vacancies during Senate recess, provide information on the state of the union and quote, may recommend to their consideration such measures as he shall judge necessary and expedient, end quote. Okay, that's a, that's the big stuff of the job. Part of the problem today is we think of the president as Santa Claus, offering a fix to every small group who demands it. That passage read nothing about free college, free health care, universal basic income, debt relief, and more. The reason I didn't read them is the same reason you didn't hear them. They aren't there. Such things were not considered at the time of ratification of the Constitution. Don't be dissuaded into thinking help for those who needed it was not considered or provided. It was considered and it was provided, but not by the general government. As James Madison put it, quote, Charity is no part of the legislative duty of the government, end quote. Early presidents didn't campaign like we know it today. But as a fun side note for you extra curious, the newspaper battles between Jefferson and Adams and Jefferson and Hamilton made today's name-calling seem downright boring. President Santa Claus is a rather new thing. Since we know what that is, let's look quickly at two campaigns, one current and one just a few cycles ago, Jacob Hornberger and Ron Paul. Jacob has on his website 16 issues identified. They are issues voters should be interested in. Not one discusses free stuff, but what the burden is on government to give you something. Topics include important issues—abortion, health care, education, regulation, foreign policy, taxation, and more. Ron Paul had fewer identified issues—personal liberty, personal property rights, and the Fed, and illegal wars. As a candidate and politician, Ron Paul is quite rare, if not unique. He's been saying the same things— For over 12 years. Well, yeah, but Bernie, man, he has too. Perhaps. Between those two men, one is very well off letting you have your liberty and at the same time abolishing the unconstitutional departments and agencies of the Leviathan. Bernie, were he still running, would be only too happy to make more unconstitutional agencies and departments and eliminate your personal liberty. In the question of better, the answer is the candidate who is intent not only on following the oath of office, but returning to the Constitution as ratified, ending central banking and ending wars. No such Democrat exists in this cycle. Mainstream politicians don't speak about personal liberty or personal property rights. I will allow that Bernie, in his campaigns, was against war, and very much for bringing troops home. Maybe not always, but certainly more than anybody else, with the possibility of Tulsi. And he's for ending some drug laws. That's good, but that hardly makes up for what he would do if he were given a chance. Maybe comparing Ron, Paul, and Bernie isn't fair, since now Ron isn't running, and so what about Jacob? Well. I've got some things to say about that, but before we get into that, let me take a moment out for a word from one of my affiliates. I mentioned Liberty Classroom at the opening of the show, Now I want to tell you a little bit more about it. Liberty Classroom is a portable, listen-anywhere subscription with professors of history, economics, and logic sharing content you didn't get in high school or college. In particular, and relevant to this episode, is the course on U.S. Constitutional History. The courses start with the Magna Carta or Magna Charta and work through the ratification, which nearly no one ever mentions except to say that it happened, to the early and important administrations, court cases, reconstruction, and more. Each course is about 30 minutes with video or audio, which you can listen to in the car or while preparing dinner. Historians Kevin Goodzman and Brian McClanahan provide the content for this course and have more courses in Liberty Classroom. Use my affiliate link, culinarylibertarian.com slash biteback to subscribe. When you purchase the master level subscription, you get access to all the content now, special bonuses just for master level subscriptions, and access to all the future courses ever to be produced. That's a lifetime membership, which you can also use to help your kids better understand history. Click the banner on the show notes page or surf over to culinarylibertarian.com slash bite back to bite back against the failed education from the state. Now let's get back into the show. Jacob's 16 platform positions read a bit as a page from Ron Paul's playbook. Abolish the IRS and end income tax. Income tax is an evil which somehow is used to keep score of patriotism. Well, how much do you love the state? Cause I gave this much. Gave. <laughs> how much would that person have volunteered? They accept donations, the IRS does, but I've not met anybody yet who's written them and after check. Social Security? Unconstitutional. End it. Healthcare? Repeal Medicare and Medicaid, they are unconstitutional. Gun control, all gun control laws are unconstitutional. For you playing the home version and who are wondering how would the government function with no taxation, no Department of Education or Energy or Nationalized Healthcare or Student Loans, I suggest it would operate quite nicely. The classic economist's question to the quality of a thing is to respond, compared to what? Compared to what we have now, the gutting of unconstitutional agencies is a breath of fresh air. I'm pretty sure that's of no comfort. It's not a bad topic, but it is another episode. So let's talk a minute about constitutional. Nearly all of us have heard that the Constitution is a living, breathing document. It adjusts to the times. Well, that's wrong. For good or bad, it is the founding law of the land. It is a contract. As such, contracts have rules. I'm going to borrow Mike Meharry's point about contracts and say that your mortgage or rent or car lease or employment contracts don't allow for alterations in the middle of the term. The bank doesn't call you and tell you you have to put a new roof on your house or add a bedroom. Contracts in any other area are not living within documents which can be altered at any time. That's not how contracts work. The Constitution, as ratified, has very clear, specific, and defined powers of what it can do. If it is not listed as health care for all, it is not listed as free college, it is not listed as something the general government can do, any power not clearly defined as a power is left to the several states. Nearly every point the Democrats are discussing in these debates is not a power the general government has. A president who speaks about individual liberty speaks about you being unhampered, untrammeled by government in any form to do as you wish with this caveat. You may not harm another or take their stuff. Don't hurt people. Don't take their stuff. That's the third grade kid thing again. And everyone gets it. When the taking is called taxation, it is still taking. You can't really opt out. The retort that the money is going to help someone isn't relevant. And it isn't going to help someone. Suppose the mugger takes $100 from you and gives it to an orphanage. But before he does, he keeps $80 for himself, a processing fee, and gives the other $20 to the orphans. You took that money for a good cause, right? That should please you. Well, except for the stealing part, the good cause is a net positive, right? That ratio of 80 to 20 is the rosiest account I've read of how much goes to the programs you think you're funding. They get 20%. The other 80% goes to the desk jockeys and the massive bureaucracy and killing brown people overseas and all kinds of other things that you weren't really in for in the bargain and can't refuse. That question of who's better, the candidate who actively says your taxes will go up, or the candidate who wants you to keep your money. That other retort is that general welfare clause. Well, Mike Beharie dispatches that pretty easily in his book, Constitution Owner's Manual. I'll put a link to that on today's Sonos page, com slash 79. The phrase about general welfare is in Article 1, Section 8, and reads, quote, "...the Congress shall have the power to lay and collect taxes, duties, imposts, and excises to pay debts and provide for the common defense and general welfare of the United States, end quote. Following that passage are seventeen specific enumerated powers. Mike adds in his book that such a construction is, quote, a legal maxim. And I'm gonna say this in Latin, I'm gonna butcher it. Designato unius esto exclusio alterius, meaning The designation of one is the exclusion of the other. James Madison made this very point in a letter to James Robertson dated April 20, 1831, and this is still Meharry quoting from Madison, with respect to the two words general welfare. I have always regarded them as qualified by the detail of the powers connected with them to take them in a literal and unlimited sense would be a metamorphosis of the Constitution into a character which there is a host of proofs was not contemplated by its creators, end quote. Well, I think Madison has some good ideas about what was intended. Mike again, broadly speaking, Promoting the general welfare is a legitimate role of the federal government, but it can only do so within the scope of the powers delegated to it, end quote. A very important point about the Constitution is, it means what the people who ratified it at the time thought it meant. To answer again the question of who is better... Plainly, Ron Paul or Jacob Hornberger are better, for they are eager to adhere to the Constitution as ratified, eager for individual freedom and private property rights. If you are bulking with, yeah, buts" about the important issues, and there are important issues, this country faces them, and there are answers. The answers are not fairy tales and pipe dreams, My skepticism is well-founded. You can be skeptical, too, if you watch them. No effort is made to be fiscally responsible, and no, the current president is also not fiscally responsible. The country has big issues, and not one of them can be solved by one person. Excluding the size and scope of immigration or healthcare or college or guns, to think 320 million people are going to agree that this or that plan is right when they can't even agree that a hot dog is a sandwich, is craziness. Now, that's a lot. It's good that it is a lot because it's a really important topic. To recap, no one with a plan for everything or who wants to take what you have earned is the right choice. They Take your money, invent more power, and you get the shaft. Let's get back to the oath of office. Those three criteria Preserve, protect, and defend. To do the first requires very little. Don't do anything, and you've already succeeded in preserving it. Protected. Well, often enough, it is from the president that the Constitution needs protecting. Executive orders are quite possibly necessary for the internal functions and operations of the office of the president and the White House in general. Executive orders now, or proclamations then, were never intended to be used or abused to be an end run around the Constitution. Defend the Constitution from people, just like the President, who seek to do damage. In Brian McClanahan's course on Liberty Classroom about the best and worst presidents, they are assessed almost exclusively on these criteria. How did they preserve, protect, and defend the Constitution? If your history came from government high schools, you may be very surprised, probably, to learn that they, whom you were told were the greatest, were actually, probably, the most abusive to and of their powers. To answer that opening question one last time is to say the two mainstream parties have no one running or out who meets the criteria of best. They are only varying degrees of bad to worse. At times of election, indecision grows fierce and we quip, well, vote for the lesser of two evils. And it seems like sage advice until you realize that the lesser of two evils is still voting for evil. This episode was to answer a specific question, which I have. It is not to tell you or advise you to vote or not vote or how to vote or not to vote. It is to say the government gives you nothing that was not yours in the first place. Government offers no product and sells no service. They do sell billions of dollars worth of arms overseas, but that's another episode. They don't offer anything which they didn't take from you first. They're just giving it back and asking you to say thank you. All right, folks, that's going to do it. This podcast transcript will be on the show notes page as a PDF for you who are interested in that. There's also on the blog a post I recently put up about liberty and freedom. Given the goings-on in D.C. at the moment, those are both more vital than ever. Subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcatcher, and I'll see you next week. Music for the Culinary Libertarian podcast is provided by Matthew Bankert at mattbankert.com.